Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right, good morning, guys. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ashley. Um, you made it. Labor Day, right? Glad to see some of you guys wearing white. Especially you've been putting on a collar today. Appreciate that. Last chance for white, right? Is that still a rule? I don't know. You know, we're deconstructing everything in society these days. Who knows what's on the chopping block next? Probably wearing white after Labor Day. Uh, so, uh, sorry about that. So, anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for being here today. This is a record-breaking Sunday for Labor Day at Dwell Church. Our previous record was three people. Um, so I'm sorry that you guys didn't have anything more interesting to do, but I'm very glad that you're here. Uh, today we are going to talk about faith. Um, it's really easy, I think, before we get into this, really, uh, to hear that word and think like, okay, Christianese, right? That's some like churchy kind of thing that people say, uh, popular girl name in the 90s. You know, I don't really know what you think of that uh, term necessarily, uh, but today, I want us to like try and sort of open up our minds to it uh, and really ask a question of like, what does Jesus think about faith in our story uh, today? Today in our story, Jesus does two really cool things. He heals a boy with a demon in him, and he gets money from a fish, which are not common occurrences, all right? We don't see that a lot in our normal everyday life. And yet still, that's not the focus of these two stories. He performs two miracles because the disciples couldn't do it. And really, the focus here is on faith. Jesus says to his disciples when they couldn't cast out the demon, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, you may not know this, but mustard seed is like the smallest seed, especially like way back in Jesus' time. This would have been the smallest seed that they could possibly imagine. Think like a poppy seed, you know, like super, super tiny. And so Jesus is saying, if you can just have faith, even to this like minuscule, tiny, like the smallest thing that you can possibly imagine, if you can have that much faith, then you can actually move a mountain. You can say from this, to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so the question that you have to ask yourself before we even really, really get into this is, do you want that? Do you desire that? Like, let's just cut through all of, like, the biblical kind of noise here, you know? Like, this is probably a passage that you've heard before if you've been in church for a while, and so it's easy to read that and be like, yeah, that's a nice thing that, you know, Jesus says. I actually heard uh, from somebody before the gathering that if you go in, like, Christian bookstores, they sell, like, little vials with, like, a little mustard seed in it so that you can carry it around, you can remind yourself, right? Like, that's, like, really, like, a, a cheesy, kind of goofy, like, this is, like, a funny, like, Jesus-y kind of verse, like, but do you actually want this? Does this sound like something you need in your life? I hope so. If Jesus tells you that you, or tells them that they need more faith, uh, it should be encouraging to us because it means that it's possible to get more faith. Jesus wouldn't say, hey, uh, you guys need a little bit more and then not be able to like give them more of it. That's a reassuring thought, right? So today what we're going to try and do is unpack this a little bit, ask the question what faith is, and then ask the question how do we get more of it, all right? So today let's start with what is faith? We have to start with the biblical definition, obviously, found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith 
is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, maybe this tells you what it is, uh, but I feel like it still leaves a little bit open there, right? Like it's not a very clear uh, explanation exactly of what faith is. So I did a little bit of a deep dive. Faith comes from the Greek word pistis. Uh, You can think of the word like epistemology because you guys use that word a lot, right? Uh, Before scripture started using it, uh, this word faith, pistis, really was not a religion. You would not think of it in this context necessarily. It was more like a legal term. So when you would hear the word faith or pistis, uh, the religious parts of your brain actually start lighting up. But back in the day, for the ancient people, uh, it would have been the legal parts of their brain. So Jesus' hearers would have heard this differently than you do. All right, so already we're doing a little bit of unpacking here, and we're taking faith away from something that you might see in a vinyl sticker on your grandma's wall or something like that, and now we're putting it in the context of saying, like, hey, when Jesus' hearers actually heard this, they thought of it in legal terms, not in religious terms. Uh, Some guys that are a lot smarter than me who wrote uh, the theological lexicon of the New Testament says this about pistis. The usage of pistis in papyri is usually legal, and its predominant meaning is guarantee or security. Pursuant to a loan granted him by Zeno, Philo reckons that his creditor is claiming more than his due. The judges ask for a statement of credits and debts that both parties agree is correct, and they decide with respect to the contested sums, that the adversaries must exchange guarantees or pistis in this long word that I'm not even going to try and read, right? All right, so this is like an ancient text that would have been concurrent with the time that Matthew was writing this, and this is like the only or like a good example of usage of pistis in the ancient world. So think of it like a good faith agreement might be sort of like what we're talking about right now. It's a way that both parties can deal honestly with one another. Uh, So sort of like imagine like if I contracted Ray to be a clown at Evie's birthday party, uh, I'm going to do that in good faith that she can actually follow through on that, that she has the big shoes. Uh, We all know she has the temperament for it, right? So like if that's what I wanted to do, I would basically say, hey, Ray, I'm going to give you this amount of money so that you can follow through and I have pistis, I have faith, confidence, assurance of some sort that you are actually going to do what we agreed that you would do. So with that in mind, let's reread what Jesus says. Verse 19, when the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, your little agreement, your little assurance, your little confidence, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Do you see here, he's saying that you don't have enough faith, or you you couldn't do what you needed to do. You couldn't cast out that demon because you didn't have confidence that you could. So then we must ask the question, what is this confidence in, right? And it has to be in God. Jesus is not like this flippant guy, like if you can dream it, you can do it kind of thing, you know? Like he's not just saying like, well, you know, if you had believed that you could cast out that demon, you probably could. No, it's belief that God would actually do what God says he would do, right? If they would have believed that God could do it, then they would have been able to do that and more is what Jesus is telling them here. It's time now that we take like a hard stop just for a moment. And I want to ask you the question, if you were in these disciples' shoes, what is it exactly in this world that you would want God to do? What do you want God to do in your world right now? 
Could be a big thing, could be a little thing, could be personal to you, could be abstract. I want you to actually think about it, all right? I know it's easy to like tune out. I'm up here rambling about who knows what, but like, think about it. What do you want God to do in the world right now? Put it into a sentence. You can write it down if you want to. Uh, You can type it into your phone. You can send it to me as a text message. I know if you don't have a notes kind of organization, it's weird to get it right. Like, but just find a way, like record it in your mind. What In one sentence, what would you ask God to do if you could ask him to do anything right now in the world? What is the first thing that popped into your heart and into your head? I want you to hold on to that idea. And then we're going to go hard left. What if I told you that gingers could fly? I'm sorry, gingers. Uh, we actually have like a disproportionately high number of you in our church, and so it makes sense for me to pick on you. But what if I like told you that gingers would fly? You would immediately say, like, uh, I've never seen it, right? And I would say, that's because they never jump off of anything high enough, to which you would say, well, let's give it a shot. No, I don't know if you'd say that right. Uh, you would say, uh, I don't know. Like, it seems like it would probably not go so well if we gathered up like a whole gaggle of gingers and tried to like push them off the Royal Gorge Bridge or something like that. Like, that would not be a good thing. And it's because we're scared. And here is what is weird. If gingers actually could fly... Some of you guys are having trouble tracking with me, all right? But just hang on there. If gingers actually could fly, and we didn't actually know it until they jumped off of something high, then if we could, like, contrive the situation, we would do something that would put the entire Weasley clan to shame, right? Like, nothing could be compared to seeing all of these gingers just fly off this thing. But they don't know it in this hypothetical situation until they actually try it. Anyway, here's the point. What if I told you that Christians could move mountains and heal the sick, and do miracles, and do even more than Jesus did, and yet, they don't. Like, that's what he's promised us. And I know immediately in your brain, if it's anything like my brain, you're firing off all these excuses of like, well, you know, things are different now, or well, you know, like, I'm not sure if that's really what I believe about God. I'm not really sure if I, I'm not like, you know, like charismatic or weird about that. If that's true, if that's like the like, things that are popping up in your head and your heart the same as they are mine, you are left with a conundrum. You can say, I don't believe it, but then you're going to ha- end up spending some like, very risky and uncomfortable time trying to argue with Jesus about what he says about faith. Or you're going to start like chopping up your Bible and doing one of those weird like, you know, Thomas Jefferson Bibles where you're like, I believe this part, I don't believe this part, I believe this part, I don't believe this part, which is basically just going to be a collection of sayings that you kind of like, right? Like it doesn't really work that way. You either take Jesus at his word here and believe what he says, turn that lens back on yourself and say, why do I have trouble believing this? Or you're going to have to find a new Bible, find a new religion, right? Like if Jesus would lie to you about something like this, how in the world could you actually trust? that he's the savior of the universe and wants you to live in heaven with him forever. So if that's not the plan, if that's not your option, to chop up your Bible and rewrite it all so that you can avoid this uncomfortable verse, and our only option that we're left with is how can we get more faith? How can we find more confidence in God and who he is? How can we actually see some piece of this power that Jesus promises to his followers? I thought of this, uh, you know, I, I hate risking sort of running into like a how-to kind of thing. Um, 
But as we close out our time, I just, I really, like, I've, I've gathered these ideas that I just had in thinking about this into, like, three categories. Three possible ways that you might be able to gain more faith. This is not something that, you know, just pops up out of nowhere. This is not something that just bubbles up inside of you. Jesus is saying here to his disciples, if you had more faith, you could do this, which tells us it's possible to get more. And so here are just three ways that you could find more faith. The first way is to follow others. Look to the heroes of the faith. I believe that realities are easier to believe when you see others living it out, right? Like it makes more sense. That's why Christians of every generation have actually been blessed by looking at the generations that come before them. Uh, this is only partially true in like mentors and stuff like that, but also in following the people who have come before us who are trying to follow Jesus and have great faith. If you find it hard to believe, if you find it difficult to follow God's call on your life, then what you can do is follow some of the examples of faith leaders who have come before you. This has been something that I have only recently started picking up in my life, uh, especially finding faith leaders or faith characters of faith throughout history. Uh, I don't really get into like biographies and stuff. That's usually not my scene and what I'm trying to read. But I found over the past few years, for whatever reason, like reading and learning about like a great hero of the faith and living or finding out how they lived out their lives actually helps me to believe it a little bit more, right? We've all done that thing where you've gotten like a little bit too deep into like a TV show, right? And you start thinking like Jim and Pam are my friends and someone has to shake you and be like, they're not real. They're not real people. They're not even dating in real life. They're both married to other people. It's messed up. It's sad, right? But you start like getting sucked into that. And what I'm offering to you and suggesting to you is maybe we should do that with heroes of the faith. That the best way to find faith might actually be able to, or might be to immerse yourself in the life of someone else who had great faith. Uh, I spent a little bit of time, not a ton of time, just collecting some books that I've actually liked a lot on this subject. Um, I think there's one on here that I haven't actually read yet, but I really want to. Uh, check these out. The Confessions of St. Augustine, written by Augustine, or St. Augustine, if you like. Uh, this is actually a story of his life of coming to know uh, Jesus uh, back in, I think, three or 400 AD, maybe 600. I'm bad with history. Anyway, it was a long freaking time ago. Uh, but it's weird how many Christians throughout the centuries have found this to be a relevant work in their life. Like, this is maybe one of the oldest Christian classics that exists. And if you start reading C.S. Lewis or Eugene Peterson or anybody else on this list, they have probably read and been affected by this book. So you should check it out, Confessions of St. Augustine. Uh, the Pastor by Eugene Peterson is actually his uh, biography about his life. Uh, there's actually a new book about Eugene Peterson uh, called uh, Burn in My Bones, I think, or Something in My Bones uh, that is actually written by somebody else about his life. You should check it out. Uh, Eugene Peterson, for those of you guys who don't know, wrote the message version. C.S. Lewis, A Life by Alistair McGrath. There's actually a lot of different versions of biographies about C.S. Lewis's life. Uh, from what I understand, this is the best one. Uh, it's also the only one that I've read, so I'm going to take it. The Road to Assisi uh, by Paul Sabatier is about St. Francis of Assisi. If you guys have been with Dwell for a while, you know that if saints had trading cards, then I would have a St. Francis one. Big fan over here. Uh, Timothy Keller by Colin Hansen. This is one of the ones that I haven't actually read on this list. Uh, it's a pretty new book that just came out. Uh, Timothy Keller, you may or may not know, passed away a couple months ago. 
Um, so this would be a great time just to like honor and like immerse yourself in his life. Jesus through the eyes of women. This one's not actually a uh, biography as much as it is like diving deeper into the stories of women through the life of Jesus. Uh, this is written by Rebecca McLaughlin or uh, McLaughlin. Yeah, McLaughlin's, that's the arms of the angel lady, isn't it? Anyway, uh, re- she's really solid. I've read some of her other books. I haven't actually read this one yet. Uh, but it kind of immerses you into the eyes of women who are looking at the story of Jesus, which would be really cool, I think. And finally, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, not necessarily a biography, uh, but it does uh, tell Rosaria Butterfield's story of her life, which is a, this amazing transformation um, to becoming a woman at, uh, of God. I won't spoil it, Okay. Uh, It's actually really, really good. You should check it out uh, if you have not already. Anyway, there's Josh's tips and tricks uh, for some biographies that you should probably check out. Even better than that, though, there is one book that I would highly recommend called The Bible. You guys are all like, you knew I was going with that, and you're like, ah, yeah, this guy's going to talk about the Bible again. It's almost like a groan once I got there. Like, it was like Sunday school kind of stuff. You should check it out. If you've never read it, seriously, uh, 10 out of 10, two thumbs up, would recommend. Uh, there's some slow parts early on, for sure. I'll give you that. Uh, but exciting, right? You guys have been here. We, we tend to, like, even, like, drift towards the exciting books of the Bible here at Dwell. We did Judges. We did Hosea for some reason, right? Like weird stuff goes down. Uh, there's all kind of crazy stories. And I say all this to say, obviously you should be reading your Bible. But if you find yourself, like me, in a place with maybe like depleted faith, here's what I think I'm going to do uh, over the next couple of months. I'm going to pick a Bible character because uh, usually I'm just like reading straight through books, you know, verse by verse, passage by passage. But sometimes I found it helpful in my spiritual walk to actually pick a character and try and put myself in their shoes as much as I possibly can. So instead of just reading Exodus as like a storybook of some weird stuff that happened, actually read it in the sense of like, what if I was Moses? Would I be doing this? Would I be like, you know, trying out this thing? Would I be making this complaint? Would I be uh, giving this direction? Would I be this frustrated? Would this be happening to me? And what happens when you're able to put yourself in the shoes of an actual biblical character is you're able to better understand figures in the Bible. You're able to better wrap your mind around what they were actually doing. I mean, when you understand and try and embrace the idea that like, John was loved by Jesus so much that that's how he names himself in his own book about Jesus. We call the book the Gospel of John. John never names himself through the whole thing. He actually just says the disciple whom Jesus loved because he was loved by Jesus that much. When you know that about John and then read the book of John through that lens of saying like, hey, why has this guy's identity been shaped by the fact that Jesus loved him? And how does that change these moments that you see when Jesus gives John his mother and says, hey, this is your mother now. You take care of her mother. This is your son now. Like that radically reshapes the entire way of reading that entire book. This is why we must immerse ourselves in the biblical story in order to find more faith. You've got to lean into it. You've got to make Moses your coworker and friend. You've got to make Mary your sister. Read Abraham's tale like it's your own. Put yourself in Paul's sandals. Do whatever you need to do and keep it fresh. I find that a lot of times when my faith starts getting stagnant, I've found that my spiritual practices have gotten stagnant as well. 
So if you find it difficult to just sort of like open, the bu- open up the Bible and read, find a new way to engage with the biblical story. Watch The Chosen, perhaps. Read the message translation to make it fresh. Listen to the Bible read by James Earl Jones. That's a real thing that you can actually do, right? Do whatever you need to do to immerse yourself in this reality. Because when you can surround yourself with a cloud of witnesses, as the author of Hebrews says, when he's talking about this big chapter, which are full of stories uh, that he begins with by faith, when you're able to immerse yourself in the biblical story like this, It allows you to open up in your mind the possibility that reality might involve more faith. And it's a difficult thing to do. The world that you see is constantly pressuring you to believe that A plus B equals C, that we live in a black and white world, that only the logical thing is going to happen. And then Jesus says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you could move this mountain, which is a nonsense sentence, right? If you've been living in this world too long, it doesn't make any sense. When you immerse yourself into a biblical reality, now all of a sudden that makes perfect sense. Anyway, next, put yourself in need of faith. Very simply put, you won't have faith if you don't need it. If you live your life completely without needing God, why would you need to have faith in him? I thought about this a lot, uh, mostly with the second pair or the last paragraph of our text today. If your budget doesn't require God to balance, you probably don't need faith. Think about it. If your budget doesn't require God to balance, you probably don't need faith. I mean, check out this story today. It says in verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He says, yes. Uh, When they came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon, of whom or for whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. I want you to notice a couple of things from this passage. First off, Jesus pays his taxes for whatever that's worth, right? Uh, he's not going to start that fight. Basically, like, people were coming up to him trying to trap him, trying to trick him, and they're like, oh, I bet he's, like, one of those that's, like, not into paying his taxes. That'll get him arrested real quick. And Jesus is like, well, I'll pay it, right? He does this whole song and dance about asking, do the king's sons pay taxes? He's like, technically, my dad is in charge of, like, the entire universe, so I'm not sure that I really have to pay taxes. And then he just hooks it with this, however not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open his mouth, you will find a shekel. Now, I wish I could tell you some sort of like crazy Bible background story. Well, back then, people used to fish, and instead of using bait, they used money, and so then sometimes a fish, no, fish didn't have money in their mouths, all right? You guys are really dead today, all right? Because some of you are like, well, maybe the no, no fish had a money had had a money in its mouth. All right, no fish had drachmas and shekels just rolling around in their mouth. That's crazy talk. All right, and what that tells us, I think, I don't want to get too much into the salty Jesus translation, but basically, money is a joke to Jesus. All right, like this is a practical joke. 
He's like, wouldn't it be funny if you found a shekel in a fish's mouth? He could have just done like your grandpa and been like, here's one behind your ear. Pay the tax with this, Peter. No, instead he puts it in a fish's mouth just for the fun of it, right? And I think this combined with the idea that he's talking about his king or his God, the king of the universe, his father, uh, having all resources to himself, so why should he even have to pay taxes, shows us that Jesus doesn't care about money. It's a joke to him. You need to pay a tax? Oh, no, we're a traveling band. You know, we're going around. We don't even really have a home. Where are we going to find this money? What are we going to do? Jesus is like, boom, fish's mouth, right? Like, Jesus doesn't care about any of this. It's not a big deal to him, which is crazy because of how much time we spend worrying and stressing about it. Jesus doesn't even furrow his brow. He doesn't worry at all about money, which should really make us ask the question, if he's walking around pulling money out of fish's mouths, do we really need to worry about paying the rent? Do we really need to worry about taking care of or about being taken care of? Now, obviously, there's a balance here. I'm not just saying we just, like, abandon everything to the wind. Husbands, just so you know... uh, or wives, either one. I don't want to be sexist in this. Uh, if your spouse is bothering you about, like, having money, Jesus is not here giving you license to go fishing, all right? I don't think that that's the solution to this thing where you're like, that's it. I have a solution. I'm going to go fishing more. That's what's going to happen. I don't think that's the reality here. I also don't think, when I say that, like, money is a joke to Jesus, I don't mean that we just throw everything out the window and just completely abandon it. There's still some, a lot of values in hard work. There's definitely a lot of values in being strategic with the way that you steward your resources. You have responsibility here. You need to spend a little bit of effort, you know, like giving concern to your money. But giving stress about it, giving worry, giving anxiety to it, that's crazy, right? If, if you can trust Jesus at what he says he'll do. If you can trust Jesus that he actually has your back, that he's actually going to back you up. If you have confidence or faith in Jesus, then we don't need to give stress to money. Which is why I say that you should have good financial planning and strategy. You should be trying to actively avoid worrying about your money, but you should also be depending on Jesus for it. Which is why I say again, if your budget doesn't require God to balance, you probably don't need faith. Like, can you imagine how different this story would have gone if somebody came up to Peter and said, hey, Peter, why doesn't your teacher pay the tax? Does he pay the tax? And Peter says, oh, okay, I'll take care of this. Then he leaves Jesus for a day. He goes out fishing so he can earn a bunch of money. He sells his fish, all this stuff, just so that he can pay this tax. He would have missed out on time with Jesus. We would have less of the Bible as a result of that, just because Peter was trying to take his finances into his own hands, because he didn't have faith that Jesus would actually take care of him in that moment. If you don't need a little bit of faith uh, to make everything work out, even in your financial life, And you're probably not relying on Jesus enough for your life. You may not be giving sacrificially enough to things that are good that you believe in. You may be overworking. You may be putting too much effort and time and energy into your own power to make your life work out instead of trusting Jesus for it. 
This could be applied to anything, too, not just uh, money. If you don't need God to help you at work, then you may not be working out of faith. Right? If you don't need God in these situations, then you don't need faith, and that's probably why you don't have it when you need it. If you don't need God in your marriage, then your marriage may not be based on faith in Him to take care of it. You won't build faith in your marriage, faith in God to take care of your marriage, if you don't need Him in your marriage. If you don't need God in your relationships, then your relationships are not based on faith. See, this point of this passage is that Jesus had already given them the commitment of His power, His authority, His guarantee. They just weren't using it. That's why my final word on how to grow to your faith is to try something crazy. Try something crazy. I think we are all of us just little gingers afraid to fly. You guys, this is sad. It was good. It was good, all right? I'm sorry. Anyway, it was a callback, too. Like, that's just, anyway. More correctly, actually, we are all just disciples too afraid to heal someone because we don't know if God will back us up. Right? Do you feel that? I talked a lot about being bored last week, so much so that the counselors in the room gave me a mental health check. Thank you, guys. Uh, if you missed it, the, like, you know, TLDR is, like, uh, life is boring, but God is interesting, right? That's kind of, like, the simple way to put it. If you find yourself empathizing at all with what I was saying last week, if you find yourself bored, if you find yourself stagnant, if you find yourself faithless, if you want more out of this life, then we must try something for God. Now, look, there's a lot of different ways that I could have phrased this and thought about it and talked about it. Try something crazy is a little bit broad and open-ended. But all I'm inviting you to do is just take one sort of small step in trying something. Try something crazy. Not just for yourself, but for the kingdom of God. So here's what we do to give it a shot. And I want you to think of this in your own terms. Don't just like hear all this, you know, sort of noise. Like say like, how could I actually do this in my life? Step one is find something that God wants to do. Find something that God wants to do. Remember from Proverbs, we talked about this multiple times throughout the book of Proverbs. Only the plans of the Lord prevail. So if you just set out and you say, Josh said, try something crazy, and so I'm going to go skydiving, and it's going to be fun. I'm going to go no parachute, and God is going to catch me. Um, maybe you have like a little bit of red hair, so you think like, I'm going to make it. I don't know. That's not what I'm talking about here. Find something that God wants to do. Only the plans of the Lord prevail, right? So what is his plan? He wants truth and justice and beauty to win the day. He wants no more pain and sorrow and sickness and death. He wants all of his people to know that he loves them. And some of that, he's going to take care of himself, right? There's some of that, like the healing of the world that is only going to happen when Jesus comes back and sets everything to rights. But some of it, you have been given power and authority to do here on earth, just like the disciples have been. Some of it, he can only do when he rescues the whole world. But we also know what else he wants and what he specifically wants us to do. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 1-4. through It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of of God our Savior, who desires that all people 
to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God here is letting you know he wants everyone to come to know him. That is his desire. And then in the Great Commission and in Acts 1-8, he actually gives you guys and me and Christians throughout all generations the authority and the power through the Holy Spirit to go out and to actually make this happen. Your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, he wants them to know this good news that they can be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He wants them to know his good news too. So that's what God wants. So now let's narrow it down a little bit more so you can identify exactly, you know, what he may be calling you to do. Find something that you're passionate about. God wants everyone to know them, know him, but you can't know everyone, right? Like you are, you are a finite human being. You must direct your efforts. You can't just be everywhere all the time, all in, in every person's life. You are built a certain way. You're given to love certain things. And maybe that's actually an opportunity that God has built into your life so that you might have faith in him so that someone else might come to know him. Maybe it's through playing kickball or drinking coffee or playing with dogs. Who knows what it is, right? There are people here in Denver who love all of those things and don't know Jesus. Or maybe it's some sort of form of brokenness. Maybe you're like passionate about something that's actually wrong. Maybe you're passionate about seeing healing in a certain place. You're passionate about seeing transformation and change somewhere. Maybe it's children with broken homes. If that's so, then get into foster care. Tell kids who think that they have been abandoned by everyone that God actually loves them. Maybe you're passionate about seeing teenagers grow up, to health, grow up to be healthy young adults. Find a way to be in a teenager's life and make that impact. We actually have some things that we're working on here at Dwell uh, that is going to give you an opportunity just to do that. And so if you are interested, if this is something God is calling you to, please talk to me afterwards. Maybe you're passionate about people who have addictions. Maybe you're passionate about people who are unhoused. Maybe you're passionate about just people that society has neglected. And I am here to tell you that I believe that those passions are in your heart for a reason. They are not there by accident. Take that passion, combine it with God's plan, and do it in faith. Faith that he can actually do more with it than you ever possibly could. And then once you've found those things, if you've identified what God wants to do, combined it with how he has made you, the things that he's made you passionate about, you've found your little niche, your area of the world. Maybe you already know, as I've been talking, your heart has been burdened for non-Christians who are in your life that you want to tell them about Jesus. Once you get to that place, then you try it so hard that if God doesn't do something, you will fail. That's the only way to know whether or not you actually have enough faith. It's the only way to know whether or not you're actually putting confidence in God is if you leave room for him to show up. If you actually say, hey, I'm going to plan, I'm going to do as best I can, I'm going to try my hardest, I'm going to be strategic about this. But ultimately, without the power of the God of the universe, it is not going to work out. And that's where Jesus, in his infinite kindness, 
comes to us and says, if you have just the smallest amount of faith, just a tiny little minuscule seed's worth of faith, you can actually move mountains. So here's what we're going to do as a response today. I want us all to just take a moment I'm inviting you to do this. If you consider yourself a part of Dwell Church, I think, man, like the future of our lives, of our church, of our city, of our world depends on you doing this, on you sitting there and asking God, what is it that you are calling me to do? God, what places have you put me in? What passions and giftings have you given me so that I might live out your plan? God, what is it that you're calling me to do in faith? And as we enter into this time of response, I want you to like take a second and actually like map out a plan for this. What does this look like? Actually name it. Is it a person that's in your life that needs to know Jesus that you need to share the gospel with? Set a target. Say, God, I know this is crazy, but you said you can move mountains. What if you gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with that person this week? What if you forced me into a situation where I don't get scared? What if you gave me the courage to actually speak up and say it? Or what if as I've been talking, you've been saying to yourself, man, I am passionate about helping out teenagers, but I don't know how. Make a plan with God right now to say, God, I am going to find some way to plug into the lives of teenagers who are around me. And through your power, I want to see one of them come to know Jesus. I want to see one of them come to know you. That's a faith-filled dream. So what we're going to do, actually, as the band comes on back up, is in just a second, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to transition into a time of response. Uh, You have all the normal ways of responding, right? We take communion every single week here at Dwell. Uh, We take the juice, which symbolizes the blood of Jesus. We take the bread, which symbolizes the body that was broken for you and for me. Uh, And we do this to celebrate the forgiveness and the gift of grace that he's given to us. There's going to be people in the lobby who would love to pray with you. If you're thinking through something and you say, hey, I need more faith uh, to actually get this done, um, That's what those people out there in the lobby are there to help you pray about and with and for. And then finally, take this time. Take just the briefest of moments sitting here with the God of the universe who hears your prayers, who is listening to you, who wants to give you good gifts because you are his beloved children. Take this moment to ask, God, if I had faith, what would you be calling me to do? And I believe that the results probably blow us all away. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.